We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. O'clock on this Wednesday, the sixth morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Got a lot of tweets coming in this morning from the uh, appearance on the Hugh Hewitt show, as well as uh, some of the interviews. I just well, I just played the interview with Peter Kersenow, uh from the Hugh Hewitt show as well. If you want to tweet to me, please do so at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word. No spaces and no underscores. Uh, like this one, I just uh, received this one. Uh, who appreciates Peter Kersenow, and so do I. Great interview, as always. Appreciate your time and the important information you always convey. And by that, I am assuming uh, that uh, the tweeter is uh, speaking of the guest, of, of Peter Kersenow. And, oh, you know what? He replied to uh, Daniel Horowitz as well. I had Daniel Horowitz on the Kersen- or a, uh, the Hewitt show as well. So uh, I'm going to share some of that with you coming up in a bit as well. So in other words, people are listening uh, to the wonderful people that I present, which is exactly what my job is. I don't know everything, but my job is to bring you people who know more than I do. And I feel like Peter Kersenow just did that, and uh, earlier today, Daniel Horowitz did as well. Now, um, another person that I spoke with today, now this is a little bit less of what I just described, to be honest with you. Uh, When I just described bringing on people who know more than I do. Uh, I, I bring Peter Kersenow on because he's brilliant. I talk to Dr. Sebastian Gorka because he's brilliant. I talk to Dr. Uh, um, uh, Everett Piper because he's brilliant. These people are just at the top of what they do. I also, te- I also speak to rather reporters, and sometimes they're really, really on top of things, and sometimes they're not. Robert Costa writes for the Washington Post. All right, Robert Costa is just like virtually everybody else on the Washington Post, decidedly left of center. Uh, But that doesn't mean we can't engage in substantive conversation and analysis of what's going on in Washington. I spoke to Robert Costa about something that I just played for you um, in the Peter Kersnow interview, anti-Semitism. Pete talked about uh, how a disproportionate number of quote-unquote hate crimes in America... Um, are being aimed at Jews. Anti-Semitic hate crimes are are leading the way. It's a very disproportionate number, more than any quote-unquote hate crimes being reported against blacks, Latinos, Asians, Muslims, gays, or anything else. Jews continue to be the number one target, which is why anti-Semitism on Capitol Hill is such a big story right now as well. I asked Robert Costa about that because Ilhad Omar, the freshman representative from the uh, Caliphate of Minnesota, she continues to double down on anti-Semitic rhetoric. And she is, quite frankly, not being managed or or reined in, if you will, by the leadership of her party. So I talked to Robert Costa of the Washington Post about just that also this morning uh, on Hugh Hewitt. Listen to a portion of that. Robert Costa, Washington Post political reporter, joining us now. Follow him online at Costa Reports. Robert, good morning. Good morning. 
Good to have you here, Robert. Uh, I want to dive right into a few of the issues on Capitol Hill today, including the fact that uh, Democrats are apparently ready to hold a vote condemning anti-Semitism. Um, clearly, this is aimed at uh, freshman Representative Ellen Omar, who has made more anti-Semitic slurs, it would appear, than we can count in her two months in office. Is it time, do you think, Robert Costa, for the Democrats to take that a step further and ask for her resignation? They've been moving to take a vote on this resolution for days, but it's become a complicated endeavor for Democrats. Uh, Democrats know that lawmakers like Representative Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, these freshman women, are in some respects the future of the party. And so they want to make sure they underscore their support for Israel with this resolution, but they're trying to add some new language to it in the last 24 hours to also condemn uh, negative comments or biased comments against people of the Islamic faith. And so they're trying to say, well, Republicans do bad things, too, on rhetoric. We should make sure we condemn that as well. But they know they, all, they, are, they are under pressure to take a stronger stance on the party's support for Israel. Some Democrats who have been longtime supporters of Israel may call for her resignation, but for now, Democrats are really taking their cues from people like Elliot Engel from New York and being critical of the Minnesota lawmaker, but not necessarily calling for her to step down. Yeah. What, what about just the fact that she's on the Foreign Relations Committee as well? Somebody expressed such open hostility for our, our strongest ally in the Middle East, one of our strongest allies in the world, and of course the nation that has you know enjoyed and, and, and tr- trusted and relied on our uh, alliance with them for protection. And, and, and the reason I bring that up is you know this adding language about condemning anti-Muslim statements, it just seems to be so much politics because there's no Muslim nation that is being threatened by non-Muslim nations to be wiped off the map. Israel is being threatened to be wiped off the map by a majority by majority Muslim nations. That's why we uh, stand so strongly with Israel. It's also complicated for Democrats, for people like Speaker Nancy Pelosi, because she recognizes that there is a debate within the Democratic Party about the scope and way the party supports Israel. She knows that support for Israel is the party's position. It's part of the Democratic platform. It's something that is endorsed by almost every leader in the Democratic Party. But at the rank-and-file level, there is that active debate. You sometimes go to progressive events. You'll see Palestinian flags. You'll see Palestinian-related uh, uh paraphernalia that is part of the democratic base at some level and the the democratic leaders know that and so they don't want to have a total civil war over the issue of israel but they also don't want to be painted as a party of representative Ilhan omar and have her define the issue and so they're trying to navigate this in an uneasy way and it's it's been tough for the democrats because they just won the house majority They feel like they have a shared target, a shared foe in President Trump. They'd much rather focus on him, yet day in, day out, Representative Omar, because of her strong position on this issue, she just keeps coming back into the news, and it first was a distraction. Now, for many Democrats, they tell me, I was at the Capitol yesterday, it's a real political headache. 
Yeah, Elliot Engel was asked yesterday on CNN too uh, about uh, yanking uh, Elad Omar from uh, from the Foreign Relations or Foreign Affairs Committee rather, and uh, uh, he said, "I can't do that. Leadership has to do that." But it didn't sound like he was 100 percent opposed to it. You just think, you know, there might be a lot of committees she could sit on. This is probably the wrong one, given her very strong and passionate uh, allegiance, of course, to Palestinian causes. Uh, to have her in a place where she can make statements about Israel, it's a it's a tough thing. Let's talk about what you just said, though. Their shared foe, which is President Trump. Jerry Nadler, of course, as we know, one of the one of the trending words in uh, on Twitter and in social media the last forty eight hours was McCarthyism, because Jerry Nadler is planning to call eighty one Trump family members, friends, associates, pretty much anybody they can find, in an attempt to find corruption, uh, obstruction of justice, or uh, something of that nature, something that they can use to uh, to perhaps take down the president. Um, how do you feel about that reference? President retweeted Sean Hannity, uh, who used the word McCarthyism first. Um, is this is this kind of reminiscent of we're going to bring people in in search of a crime rather than we have discovered a crime and now we're finding evidence of it? McCarthyism is a political term. It's a heavy and weighted term. President Trump is using it as a way of explaining his own defiance and unhappiness with the democratic process. But it's not unusual for an opposition party when they control the House majority to go after an administration that's plagued by scandal, they're plagued by questions about legal conduct. We saw this with President Clinton in the late 90s with House Republicans. Of course, the American people will ultimately decide if the Democrats are overreaching here or not. But you do see the Democrats smelling blood in the water. They see the Mueller report possibly on the horizon. That could come in days or weeks, they tell us. And if it does come, they want to be able to bolster the case against President Trump in the House, because so much of what Mueller has been doing with the special counsel operation has been behind the scenes. And ahead of 2020, Democrats know that beyond the Russian interference question, aspects of alleged obstruction and aspects of the president's finances are not fully understood by most voters. Those are complicated issues. And so they want to paint a new picture by bringing these witnesses up but they are on a political tightrope. As much as they feel they, they are compelled to do this, uh, they also could be on political thin ice with some swing voters who'd rather see the Congress focus on other things. But the Democratic base is also pressuring them to make sure they do take this sort of action. Robert Costa, Washington Post political reporter, joining us. Um, what you just said, I think, is fascinating. Uh, you said with 2020 approaching, the Democrats in Congress want to bolster uh, potential uh, uh, obstruction charges or something they can find against the president. Um, is that their job? Their job is to legislate, not to run political campaigns or to try to take political shots at the president. Uh, are, you know, you said they smell blood in the water. I smell desperation. I think they know the Mueller report is going to come up with nothing as it pertains to collusion or nothing that would, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, would dictate any kind of steps to be taken against the president, such as impeachment. And it's, since they're not going to get anything from Mueller, they have to try to find something else by way of this investigation from the Judiciary Committee. They also believe that impeachment proceedings could be the end of all of this, that after they conduct hearing after hearing over the course of the year, they may end up with deciding to come up with an impeachment resolution. That's something that's not out of the realm of possibility. What's interesting is that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and others have tried to resist the call for impeachment now. And the bargain they have made implicitly with a lot of these members of their own party 
is that they say privately, look, you know, we know you want impeachment now. Hold off. Spend the year or the next year and a half investigating, calling people up to testify. Really try to draw this out. Make a case to the American people. Get people to know some of the faces and names involved around President Trump. Don't rush the process. So what Chairman Nadler is doing is, is that process. It's, it is political. Uh, but President Trump has to recognize the Democrats have power. They have subpoena power. He may not like it, but this is now his world. This is the world he lives in. And that's why you saw the White House trying to push back uh, yesterday. They're trying to talk about, oh, we're not going to maybe... We're going to maybe use executive privilege in some instances to push back on this. Uh, but this is a real test for this White House. It's not just divided government. It's subpoena power they now face. Yeah, there's no question about that. And with 81 people, uh, you know, being uh, being called either for documentation or for testimony, uh, they are using every bit of that subpoena power, or at least it appears they are going to. Robert Costa online at at Costa Reports, Washington Post political reporter. Thank you so much for the time this morning. Thank you. All right. So that was, again, uh, from my conversation with Costa from on the Hugh Hewitt program this morning. Again, I welcome your reaction to that. I mean, he, he had, you know, again, he's a left of center Washington Post reporter. And he admitted what Jerry Nadler and the Democrats on the various committees, including oversight and judiciary in the House, what they are doing right now is trying to hurt Donald Trump in 2020. That's not the job of the legislature. It is blatant. It is brazen. Their job isn't to go into their committees and and work on how do we win the election in 2020. You do that crap in the DNC. You do that crap in in your campaigns. You let you let um, uh, uh, declared candidates like Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Liz Warren and Kristen Gillibrand. You let them do that stuff on their own time. This is not what the committees are for. This is not what the legislature is for. They're using it as the political branch of of the Democrat Party, the pods. They're using their time and the resources of the country and the the valuable time uh, and issues facing the American people uh, as, uh, as a way of just finding a way to stop Donald Trump, calling 81 people to testify or provide documents uh, to see if they can find some sort of crime that Donald Trump may have committed is not what uh, the uh, uh, legislature is for. That is not how this works. And if a left-of-center reporter, Robert Costa, uh, has just acknowledged and admitted that is exactly what they're doing. It is political. It is about 2020. It is a misuse of their office, and a lot of them ought to be run out of their offices, including AOC. That's right. I, did you think I forgot about her? No. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in uh, <laughs> in full-blooming idiocy still to come right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Back after this. Sure. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we've been talking about hate crimes. I'm going to save AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's hit list here uh, for uh, the next segment after the bottom of the hour news. Let me get a phone call in from West Park. Jim, you're on the air. Go ahead, Jim. Everything I've heard about hate crimes since 6 o'clock this morning <clears throat> sounds exactly like the Mueller investigation with Rosie, Comey, Stocks, Struck, Smoke, Spurt, 
uh, Paige, Clapper, Brennan, Clinton, POTUS, Bruce, and Nellie. And then the 46 House seats that the Republicans gave to the Democrats. I just wanted to ask a question. Are you getting my letters or I have a problem with the post office again? No, no, I'm getting your letters, my friend. I just don't write back in long form. I don't, I don't write back uh, and send things via snail mail. So, uh, nope, I'm getting your letters. I appreciate it. Um, what a great point Jim just made at the beginning of that. He said, talking about hate crimes, the only thing I keep thinking about, and he listed the group, Rosenstein, Comey, Strzok, et cetera, et cetera, how true that is. I've never heard a phrase that way. The hatred that Jim Comey, that Rod Rosenstein, that Peter Strzok, that uh, Lisa Page, that so many in the Department of Justice under Obama, in the FBI under Comey, the hatred that they had for Donald Trump led them to break the law, led them to collude with one another, uh, led them to collude with a foreign former MI6 British spy to order and then get and pay for and then get a phony dossier on Donald Trump that they could then take to the FISA court to be able to spy on Trump camp the Trump campaign to find information they could use against them, against him, in order to stop him from winning and beating their preferred candidate, Hillary Clinton. That's a hate crime. They were motivated purely and totally by their hatred of Donald Trump. That's why what you saw in the text messages was so important. We'll stop him, and if we can't, we'll find a way, essentially, to undermine his presidency. In the unlikely event that he wins, we will do something else to stop him. This is exactly what, you know why so many of these individuals that Jim just named have either been fired or demoted, or forced to resign their positions within the Department of Justice and the FBI because they were committing crimes. The only thing missing here, quite frankly, is has been an attorney general instructing his uh, legions of, um, of uh, district attorneys to file those charges and get them all in orange jumpsuits. They should all be wearing orange jumpsuits or stripes. I prefer the stripes, the way the old school stripes, the way the Sheriff Joe used to use in uh, Tent City. They deserve striped sunlight. They deserve striped uniforms. Where's Johnny Cash? Any kind of good producer Jim Lucio would be playing? I got stripes. Stripes are on my shoulders right now. Come on. Where are you? In all seriousness, though, they committed crimes, and they did so because of their hatred for Trump. If we're going to classify something as hate, hate crimes, let's go all the way. Jim, thanks for the call. Back after that. Calm. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed it is. 1034 is our time, so I've got 26 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you on AM 1420. The answer. I want to... I want to listen for just a little bit so that we can try to dissect. I'm sorry, digest. Okay, I was lying. I'm going to dissect it. Uh, We're going to try to digest a little bit more of the insanity from the newest face and voice of the American left and the pods, the party of death. Uh, Her name, of course, is 
Alexandria Kelly Bundy Cortez, and I call her Kelly Bundy in jest, of course. I know she's not really Kelly Bundy. Kelly Bundy was the dumb, vacuous blonde on Married with Children, a daughter of Al Bundy, sister of Bud, Bud, uh, Bud Bundy, and she was just known to be an airhead blonde. Uh, idiot on the show. So I, I call Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Kelly Bundy Ocortez in jest. She's not really Kelly Bundy. She's Kelly Bundy's dumber, younger brunette sister. Okay, so let's be, you know, clear about that. So Alexandria Kelly Bundy Ocortez, um, was on a, a, a New York program called New York One with Errol Lewis. And she decided to lecture Errol Lewis and the rest of America on how the government works and how Capitol Hill works and how bills are passed and how unfair it is that Republicans actually have a say in anything having to do with the government in the House. And she defended her hit list that she essentially declared she was putting out um, on Democrats who would dare to side with Republicans. This has created an enormous problem, by the way, uh, in her party, because leadership, many of them are getting tired of Alexandria Kelly Bundio-Cortez thinking that she is leadership. And this is a this is a big deal. So I want you to listen to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and we will dissect as we go. And that um, people who are supporting centrist measures or making deals with the Republicans mm-hmm. are putting themselves on a list. That's mm-hmm. the thing everybody mm-hmm. sort of oh, seized yeah. on. Yeah. What, what, what was that about? So what happened this week was that there was a, a Republican procedural maneuver called a motion to recommit. The thing about this is that it happens about five minutes before passage of major legislation. In this case, it was HRA, the gun safety legislation that advocates have been working on for years to get to the floor of the House. And so for for months and months, people are working on this legislation. There's committee hearings. There's all of these things. We finally have the package on the bill that we're going to introduce to the House. So we go into the floor of the House of Representatives, and there are... She's improving. She she learned the full name of the House, the House of Representatives. Remember, pre- previously she thought they were chamber uh, that there were three chambers of government. She had no idea that they were called chambers of Congress. But let let her continue. Advocates all up in the gallery, really excited, and then five minutes before the vote, um, uh, this motion to recommit an amendment pops up. And there was a group of Democrats that had splintered off from the party to, at the last moment, add a pro-ICE amendment, an expansion of power for ICE. Stop. See, it's at this point, you can actually see, I'm watching a video as I play this for you, uh, for your audio enjoyment on the radio. If you could see the video, at this point, you can actually see little puffs of smoke emerging from both ears as the gears inside her skull kind of grind against one another, begging for oil and some kind of lubricant uh, because she's about to go into shutdown mode. She just said that this amendment to this gun grab bill was to expand the powers of ICE, to expand the powers of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Well, that sounds pretty dramatic. What do you mean by expanding the powers of ICE, Kelly? To a gun safety bill, which 
if you know, I, I and I've said this before. I understand ideological differences. If you are a Democrat that believes that ICE should have more power in this time, that's one thing. Um, <laughs> if you can lobby for that in committee, you can try to add that to the bill. The expanded power that she is speaking of is no such thing at all. The amendment that was added to her quote-unquote gun safety bill, which is another attempt at a gun grab, simply said that any illegal alien who is trying to purchase a gun must be referred to ICE. That's it. That's not an expansion of ICE's power. That is ICE's job, because it is illegal for an alien, an illegal alien, how about that? It's illegal for an illegal alien. It is criminal for an illegal alien to possess a gun in the United States. It's just that simple. If you come here on a visa and overstay, you can't have a gun. If you cross the border illegally, you can't have a gun. No matter what your circumstance is, If you're an illegal alien, you cannot have a gun. So this little amendment to her quote-unquote gun safety bill was going to simply tell local law enforcement the exact truth, that that's illegal. If an illegal alien has a gun, you need to report that to ICE. Gun shops, gun sellers, if you have an illegal alien, somebody who cannot prove their citizenship, trying to buy a gun from you, you have to report this to federal authorities. That is not an expansion of ICE power. That's just... The job. It's the way it is. It's the way that it's always been. And she's trying to make it sound as though ICE, which she detests and wants to abolish and defund completely, is somehow getting new expansive powers to wreck the lives of immigrants, which, of course, she never uses the modifier illegal to describe. But to use a Republican maneuver to add this poison pill... A Republican maneuver. The motion to recommit is a Republican maneuver? It's not something the Democrats have ever done? No, that's a congressional maneuver. Kelly Bundio is getting an education today. Five minutes for the bill, mm-hmm. and then and then the other 200-plus Democrats in the caucus have to decide five minutes before passage, do I choose between the gun safety community and these families or the immigrant community? Oh, how unfortunate. Intersectionality comes back to bite the liberals right on the arse. That is exactly what they are faced with. When you practice and play identity politics as a party, when you cherish victimhood above all else, when you tell people, we will be there to support you if you are a victim, if you are persecuted in some way, shape, or form, when that is your philosophy, Identity politics, who identifies as the biggest victim, that's who we are going to go show we support you so that we can get the votes from that victim community. When they intersect with one another, rut row, we have to figure out which one of them we are going to support. This is the same thing that happens whenever you have, you know, let's just take a look at what some of the victim groups are. Racial victim groups, blacks, Latinos. Uh, uh, victim groups, protected classes like homosexuals, transsexuals, etc. 
um, genders, women, um, uh, uh, religious, Muslims, when protected classes among democratic groups intersect with one another, they're caught like a deer in headlights. I'm looking at the video that I told you about. In addition to the smoke coming out of her ears as the gears grind to a halt, you should see her eyes. They're the size of saucers, coffee saucers. Um, she looks like a deer in headlights. It's like, what do we do? Do we side with the gun rights victims? You know, because these are people whose families who have been victims of gun violence, and we have to take away the Second Amendment to make them happy. But now the Republicans slipped in a maneuver saying, oh, by the way, uh, if illegal aliens try to get guns, since we're doing a gun bill here, they have to be reported to ICE. Oh, now we got the illegal alien community, and we have to protect them, too. What do we do? Deer in headlights, intersectionality. They live by it, and now they're getting burned by it, and she doesn't like it. When these are not two communities that are opposed, (laughs) the fact that we're forced to choose between them, I thought was wrong. And I communicated as such in the committee, and when I said, you're making a list... We're forced to choose between them. Oh, my. Oh, no. We can't actually pass the the, uh, uh, addendum. We can't exactly pass that. Uh, the uh, the uh, 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 rider to this bill that says we have to report illegal aliens because we don't want to report illegal aliens even when they're breaking American law by trying to acquire firearms. What are we supposed to do now? What I'm saying is that you're, you are, by separating yourselves out from the caucus, you have made a list in the vote count of the caucus... Democrats that is susceptible to Republican manipulation. And- you know, the more I listen to her, honestly and truthfully, the more I realize who else she is. I probably should have uh, realized this a long time ago. I've been calling her um, Kelly Bundy. I've been calling her Kelly Bundy O'Cortez. But the more I listen to her speak and the longer they give her rope, uh, with which to uh, proverbially uh, hang herself, the more she sounds like Miss Teen South Carolina. Do you remember Miss Teen South Carolina? When asked why so many Americans can't find Iraq on a map? I think that was the question. Do you remember her response? Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? Sorry, it's can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Iraq had nothing to do with the question, but it has something to do with the answer. I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed- education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the US should help the US or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for- um that happened in 2007. That's 12 years ago. How old is Alexandria Kelly Bundy Cortez? She's 29. 12 years ago, she would have been what? Ding, ding, ding. 17. 
she very well could have been in the Miss Teen South Carolina pageant. Did she get a dye job? She was blonde in this uh, at this pageant. Maybe she just dyed her hair brunette, moved to New York, and became Alexandria. Because I'll tell you what, from vocal patterns and um, intellectual capacity, I think those are the same people. Those two are one in the same. Here's more of Alexandria Kelly Bundio Cortez talking about how mean those Republicans are by actually trying to advocate what they believe in. So now, of course, the other side of that, which I'm sure some of your fellow members told you, is that, look, the politics of my district are not the politics of your district. Right, the politics right. of why I supported this are, are very different from yours. The politics right. I, uh, of, of defending my seat so that I don't get wiped out and this becomes a Republican House all over again right. are different from what goes on in the Bronx. Right, right. And again, I respect that difference of opinion, but it is the use of these last-minute maneuvers that I think is is it's a it's a bad faith maneuver from the Republican Party <laughs> that we're then buckling on and giving in on. Mm-hmm. In the eight years that Republicans had the House, not one motion to recommit got passed. And but Democrats tried countless numbers of times. They tried, but when Republicans do it, it's in bad faith. That's what Ms. Bundy says. I think that it. This is you know. Again, I understand the difference in ideology, but that's why I say... No, I don't think you do. I don't think you understand much about anything, to be quite honest with you. I think you are Miss Teen South Carolina with the dye job. You went brunette to escape into hiding when you became an international celebrity for all of the wrong reasons. Here's another clip of Kelly Bundy O, Teen South Carolina O, Cortezo. Uh, this is uh, Alexandria talking to New York One about her Green New Deal. Remember what I talked about when I said intersectionality? Uh, this is what they do. Now we're talking about those oppressed by the climate finding a way to become interconnected to or intersectionalized, if you will, with those who are suffering victims of income inequality. So you're a victim of the climate or you're a victim of income inequality and we have to solve both. Kelly? Putting aside whether or not there's a necessary connection, mm-hmm. strategically, uh, you've made a decision there yeah. that you didn't necessarily have to make, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if there were a way to advance, for example, clean technology that didn't really affect inequality one way mm-hmm. or another, mm-hmm. would you take that? You know, I... It all depends on the individual proposal because I reject the idea that these issues are not intrinsically connected, right? Like if you, one of the, one of the things that some folks give pushback is they're saying, why are you talking about racism when it comes to the environment? And they said, because you know as well as I do that Mother Nature hates black people. The environment, climate change hates Latino people. Hates minorities. Ethnic minorities really have a bad, uh, get a bad break when it comes to nature. Right, Kelly? Racism has nothing to do with environmentalism. And my immediate retort is look at Flint, look at Katrina, look at Hurricane Maria. Told you. <laughs> Hurricanes intentionally strike black people. Uh, hurricanes intentionally strike uh, people of color. And high urban population areas. What's really interesting about that, of course, is that when tornadoes strike mostly white areas, 
such as, well, virtually the entire American heartland, including in South uh, in the in the South, like in Alabama, just a few days ago, no reference to that. But it's black people who are hurt by nature and climate change and hurricanes because well, nature you know, nature hates black people, so we have to rein nature in and we have to control the climate in the interest of protecting people of color. This woman, I've said it before, and I hate being so redundant about it, but I don't have any choice. This woman is a stampede of stupid. She is just literally too dumb to put into words. I'll continue to try. Kelly Bundy's younger, dumber sister comes to mind. Miss Teen South Carolina with a dye job comes to mind. But this is the face of the pods. She's the lead pod. She has surpassed Nancy Pelosi. She's the new de facto Speaker of the Democrat Party, Speaker of the House, and leader of the Democrat Party. She is bigger than Liz Warren, Kamala Harris, any other female in the Democrat Party. She's their face. And that is a thing of beauty. Not her face, but that circumstance. Right back after this on AM 1420. The My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly, he ended up in the emergency room and spent multiple nights in intensive care. Now he's on a whole bunch of medications. My tip to you is, don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. Ten fifty-three, final segment of the broadcast for this Wednesday morning on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I, I I really do feel like I've solved it now. I I know who she is. I, I figured out who she is. She's Miss Teen South Carolina. And um, quite frankly, uh, uh, the, the audio proves that. I want to give you one more taste of the, the unimaginable, incomprehensible, indescribable stupidity of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the new face of the pods. And by the way, I want that to be trending from now on. I'm going to try to get this to Hewitt and to Elder and to Prager and to Gorka and everyone else. And everybody else that I can find, I'm going to send it to Fox, too. I just want everybody to refer to the Democrat Party now as pods. Every Democrat is a pod, all right, because that's what they are. They are the Pod stands for party of death, but it also signifies kind of who they are, members of groupthink. They are all just kind of uh, linked to one another. They're pods. They're, they're shells of actual sentient beings, and I think that's important for people to know. But anyway, here's the, the lead pod of the Democrat Party right now explaining that her views on socialism are not about uh, redistribution of wealth. She says that it's creation of wealth. Mm. Have you seen any signs of whether or not, say, the redistribution issues mm-hmm. might be something that people can seize on uh, as a way of splitting the coalition that you're in the middle of trying to build? I think, I think there are some folks that are trying, but what I think is important to 
to discuss here is that this really isn't about wealth redistribution. No. This is about investments. This is about wealth creation and wealth generation. For every one dollar that you invest in infrastructure, you get up to six dollars back um, that's created in terms of economic uh, mobilization. She learned that in her fourth year of uh, uh, her economics courses at Boston University. She learned that one dollar of investment gets you six dollars back. But what she's not talking to you about is where is that first dollar coming from? It's coming from the wealthy. They are taking those dollars from the wealthy to quote unquote uh, uh, reinvest them uh, into projects that she says will aid the non wealthy and more specifically people of color. That is my dear Ms. Bundy, is wealth redistribution. So if this was a purely redistributive prop, uh policy, I do think that there would be a lot more resistance. But I think that people recognize that when you invest in new technology, when you invest in creating jobs, when you invest in infrastructure... When uh, you invest in creating jobs, you unimaginable nimrod. You invest in businesses. You invest in companies, you invest in research facilities, you invest in manufacturers. And when you invest in manufacturers, they create the new jobs. How do we know this to be the truth? Because it's exactly what we did to try to speed up the rebound of the economy that moved so slowly under Barack Obama to the enormous levels where we are in two years of Donald Trump. We have created new jobs. We are creating new wealth, not by stealing more people's money, but rather by letting them keep it. When businesses are allowed to keep more of their money, when taxes are lowered, they are able to reinvest those dollars in expanding operations and hiring more people. This isn't that hard. And the real crux, the real conundrum in this is how she says that her plan will help give more people of color more opportunities to make money and yet it's the president's plan which is simply capitalism (laughs) the president is simply following the model by the way but it's this plan that has more black people in this country with more employment opportunities than in the history of the the recording of uh, of unemployment figures that's right Lowest black unemployment in the history of this country. The president is doing what needs to be done for uh, people of color, not Alexandria Socialist Cortez. But you're making a choice, because if you say, for example, we're going to raise taxes on the very wealthy to help pay for the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. um, there's a whole lot of wealthy people who are going to say, I might have been with you, but not if you're going to take my money. Now you've got a right. bunch of opponents that you didn't necessarily need to Right, right. But I mean, and and one of the aspects of politics is that there are a lot of trade-offs. So for me, I think that one thing that I'm unafraid to make conscious decisions about is to say, we're going to make a decision. We may lose a few people here, but we're doing that so that we can address an entire community over there. Mm -hmm. And for a very, very long time, the issues most pertinent to working people, to communities of color, to frontline communities, to communities most impacted, always get left behind. There it is. Raise taxes on the wealthy to help people of color. Completely and utterly backwards she is. 
That's all the time we have today. I really appreciate you being with us. Thanks for listening. If you were with me through the Hugh Hewitt program, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Have a great day. Enjoy the silence.